Welcome to Up In Your Business with Carrie McCoy, a production of FlagandBanner.com. Through storytelling and conversational interviews, this weekly radio show and podcast offers listeners an insider's view into the commonalities of successful people and the ups and downs of risk-taking. Connect with Carrie through her candid, funny, informative, and always encouraging weekly blog. And now it's time for Carrie McCoy to get all up in your business. Thank you, Sun Gray. My guest today is the successful indie comic book publisher, Mitch Brightweiser. Of the creative husband and wife team, Mitch and Elizabeth Brightweiser, founder of Allegiance Art and Entertainment in Little Rock, Arkansas. Though we may all feel like comic book characters are everywhere in our blockbuster movies and video games, the truth is there are few new ones that are being printed, published, and distributed in the old-fashioned comic book style and business model. In the year of COVID, which we will all remember well, this young, brave couple launched Allegiance Art and Entertainment, made a Shark Tank-like presentation to Walmart, and after a 20-year absence in the comic book industry, Walmart began selling and distributing the Brightweiser's magazine titles and heroes, Nora's Saga, The Futurists, Red Rooster, and Bass Reeves, who is loosely based on the U.S. Marshal from Fort Smith, Arkansas, who in the late 1800s worked in part for the famous hanging judge Isaac Parker. So how did these young Harding College graduates meet? Not at college. And how did these comic book geeks, so to speak, get interested in an industry that is being replaced by video games and blockbuster action films? Well, today we will find out and learn about this interesting couple's life, success, and the business of comic books. It is a pleasure to welcome to the table the busy and creative Mitch Brightweiser. Thank you so much for having me. So let's start at the beginning. When did your love of comic books begin? Really, uh, around 12, when my dad brought some home for Christmas as a stocking stuffer. Uh, And I kind of knew what a comic book was before that, uh, but I was always writing and drawing. Like, that was just my thing. I I loved to draw, and I was always winning the art contests in elementary school. Oh, nice. uh, But I was also writing at the same time and and just being always very creative. But when when he brought home a comic book, and it was Spider-Man 2099 number one and number two, uh, the Death of Superman series. This was like back in, I don't know, 88, 89, somewhere right around there. And uh, instantly it was like, the it just clicked. It's like somebody is writing and drawing this and making this magic come alive in my hand. And really it was kind of love at first you know, sight for me. And I it just clicked for me. And I've it's, pursued so it ever since. I've heard uh, other people call it graphic novels. Yeah, uh, yeah, a graphic novel is really just a long form of the periodical comic book, which is usually a staple-bound uh, periodical, kind of disposable, kind of magazine-like thing. When did you think, oh, this could be a career? I, I kind of decided right away that that was going to be my career. At 12 years old, he decides this is my career. Pre- There's a business in this. Well, somebody's doing, doing it, it, right? And then and then they at the time, comic books were starting to really explode. This was the late 80s and early 90s, and there was a— huge explosion of both creativity but also in entrepreneurship like there were people that were leaving marvel and not long after that um, branching out and starting their own companies comic books were selling in the millions at the time like it was uh, i kind of caught the fever right at the right time and the whole thing just lit my world on fire and the the artists and creators in these 
Uh, I, I mean, I liked the comic book heroes just fine. Uh, I like more of the storytelling process, but it was the creators that I was really, they were my real heroes. Mm-hmm. So I was really inspired by just the feats of amazing artistry, but in creativity, not just that, but also the fact that they were combining it with entrepreneur, entrepreneurship and, and uh, business acumen uh, and doing something that they loved and generating something that was so culturally hot and resonant at the time. Did you go to college for an art degree, I guess? I did. And then you decided to, when you graduated, you went to Harding. Harding, un, is that university? Mm-hmm. Harding University in Searcy, Arkansas. And then when you graduated, you instantly moved to New Jersey? Uh, yes. Uh, so I, I yeah, I, I, I was, at my senior year of college, I was starting to put my, my comic book portfolio together, and I started traveling to comic book conventions for the first time. I mean, you hear about these things now, but back then they were... Uh, you didn't hear about them quite so much. But well, there I, wasn't the web. No, it was yes. I didn't have a computer. It was like right and for was, a pamphlet. Y- yes, I mean there was. I remember uh, reading everything I could about how to break into the comic book industry on the li- in the computer library, which had about maybe ten computers in it at Harding University, and that's how you got on the internet and accessed information. And I was in there all the time trying to figure out. And then you call them up and you say, how do I meet other people? And they say, come to a convention. Yes. And that's what I did. So I put my portfolio together and I started traveling my senior year and then decided that, um, you know, I, if I was going to do this, I had to go and be where the publishers were. And then all the publishers were in on fifth Avenue in New York city. That's where Marvel was. And uh, DC was, uh, I think on 57th street and, uh, no, they were they were on 60s. I forget now. But anyway, they were all in Manhattan. So I figured that's where I need to be. So I left college and moved to Cliffside Park, New Jersey, which is like right on the Palisades next to the Hudson. It's like the, the as far as I could get before the rent started going uh, crazy. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, that's what I did. And then I just started ingratiating myself with just walking around with your portfolio. Yes. Uh, knocking on literally knocking on doors, uh, going to conventions was really what did it for me. Because, again, I didn't have a computer. This was. The internet was around, obviously, but it's not like you had social media and you could just post your portfolio everywhere and get attention. It's much easier now to uh-huh. get noticed if you're an exceptional talent. Uh, back then, you really had to do the legwork, which I kind of liked it that way because it, I don't know, it, 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 it was a fun experience. But going to conventions, I would meet peers that were in the same boat and maybe lived in New Jersey or in the New York area. Did you do sign painting? Because when uh, I started flagging banner, there were a lot of sign painters. You I don't see did. sign painters well, anymore. Well, I didn't paint the signs, but... Um, how I fed myself for a, a three or f- two or three or four years there is I worked at a sign company in New Jersey that did industrial signage. And so I would design uh, signs for like industrial parks, of which there are no shortage of in New Jersey, obviously. Uh, and then also would uh, go out on the job sites and help install them with the maintenance guy or the inst- installation guy. So it was a fun job. I didn't help pay the bills while I was trying to break into the comic book business. And then you finally did get a job at Marvel Comics. I, I did. Uh, How and, long did it take? Uh, about five. It, I graduated college in 2000 and I really got my big break in 2005. I had hit or miss stuff See, in between now and years. then. five years. He worked at it five years. Okay, it people, felt hear like, that. It felt like forever. I was... 25 years. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I, it felt like forever, but then later on, I hear stories about people that, you know, waited until their 40s or whatever to, like, finally get in and be a success at comic books. So and some people really go out. And you're in your 20s. So yeah. you've landed a job at Marvel Comics. What are you doing? Uh, I uh, my first big break was on a book called Drax the Destroyer. So I was living in Manhattan at the time, and because it's a crazy story, if you want to hear the crazy story, I love uh, crazy uh, story. A little old lady rear-ended my car, 
and it was a junky old, you know, used car. And the insurance company paid me out probably way more than the car was worth. And I was at the time thinking about giving up on comics because it had been five years. And I'm like, I've really got to go get a real job and do something else. And so I was really thinking about hanging it up. And so you got hit in the rear. I like got kick in the pants. It was a kick in the pants. And I instead of buying another car, I bought a one. I, I had I was living in Nashville at that time. I'd taken a, a year off to go hang out with friends and play in bands and draw draw on, on the side. Uh, so I bought a one-way plane ticket and packed two suitcases and went into the Manhattan and just said, you know, I've got you know so many thousands of dollars, not that much, but I'm just going to go until the money runs out and risk it all. And um, that's what I did. I lived in a shoebox apartment on 100th and Broadway. Uh, that was probably not much bigger than this studio right here that we're in. And it was a converted hotel room. And I went down to Chelsea and to the art store down there and I – bought a uh, air mattress and a drafting table and some paper. And I just went to town. Uh, I had a friend at the time I had already known. I knew some people in and around the comic book business. So my friend was drawing an X-Men book and he lived in Chelsea, Sean Chin. Uh, He's very talented and he was in his mid thirties at the time. And uh, he would skateboard up from Chelsea to turn his pages in at Marvel. And nobody really did that because everybody lives kind of everywhere, but he would go and turn his pages in every Friday. So I'd call him every Thursday and tell him, hey, Sean, I've got three new pages. I want to show them around the office. Would you sneak me in the freight elevator? Because this is after 9-11, obviously, and they, all the buildings were really locked down. And that's when they started doing the passcodes and all the, the you know, the, you had to have the mm. lanyard to get in the yes. building. So he would sneak me in on the freight elevator to the editorial floor. And I would just go in and make the rounds and stop editors if they didn't look like they were busy, uh, if they – if they were busy or had their doors shut, I would obviously make copies of all my new pages and I'd slide them under the door. And I just did that for about five months. And eventually they, I, I broke them down <laughs> and they called me and said, all right, uh, you're getting better. We're, you're, you're, we like your work. And an editor called and said they wanted me to try out for this book called Drax the Destroyer. And I had no idea who this character was. He was a very obscure character at the time. Now, almost everyone who's a Marvel fan knows Drax the Destroyer because he's one of the critical uh, characters in the Guardians of the Galaxy film franchise. He's the guy with the tattoos played by uh, John Batista. Is that his name? Batista. Yeah. Um, he's nodding. You're on the radio. You have to say something. <laughs> I'm nodding fervently. Okay. I just wanted to make sure I had his name name right. Um, I'm not a big movie guy. But, uh, uh, but anyway, I got that gig and um, – by the second issue, I started getting calls from DC Comics, and because I was, you know, it's like when you get start dating the hot girl. Yeah. All the other girls want to give you a call, oh. so <laughs> DC starts calling me at like just a few months after. It's like the dam kind of broke for me, and so then I call Marvel and my editor, and I said, "Hey, I've been doing this for now a couple months. I really like working with you guys. It's been a lot of fun, uh, but this is only four issues, and do I have a future beyond this? Um, because DC's calling me, and they have some new things they're doing in the fall, and they're interested in my work, and." Uh, and the next day, I got a call from the editor-in-chief, and they offered me a two-year exclusive contract, which at the time, that's kind of the, the thing, right? I mean, that gu- guarantees you work. It means they'll keep feeding you uh, gigs uh, by contract. contract, yeah, two-year yeah. contract. And so at, at that time, I mean, I, I, of course, I accepted, and um, and then I made a decision to move back to Arkansas, after your two-year contract? No, I, I immediately. You I was, mean you kept the contract and got to move back to Arkansas at the same time? Yeah, because you work anywhere uh, as oh. a comic book artist because you, you just, I just send was the pages. Was that because you saw the Twin Towers fall and you're like, I'm out of here? 
No, well, this is 2005, right? Oh, but so. I've been in and around that area for five years. So I moved there in 2000, just before. In fact, I, I had a view of the Twin Towers before, like in my New Jersey apartment in 2000 when I moved there. Did you see them fall? Were you there? When I they- did not see them fall, uh, although I did. Uh, you know, I saw all the aftermath. I was working at Starbucks on the George Washington Bridge in Fort Lee, New Jersey. And that's how I was paying the bills at the time. Uh, so, but that was a bizarre experience because I was did the opening shift. So I was there at six in the morning and, um, and then kind of experienced it all by watching the insanity of like these massive military bomb trucks that I never even knew existed going over that Fort Lee Bridge. So I saw all the emergency services vehicles going over the bridge at the time. And it was a, it was quite an unforgettable experience. That's for sure. Uh, all right. So before we take a break, but we're going to take one just a minute. You moved back to Arkansas, and uh, you did not meet your current wife, Elizabeth, who could not be here today because she's on a deadline for Friday, because I bet that's your whole life is just deadline, deadline, yeah. deadline. It, 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 yeah, it has been. <laughs> yeah. So she's got a deadline, so she's a, a colorist, and she's working. She was going to be here. But you met her. This is dating you on, <laughs> on Squarespace. No, MySpace. MySpace, well, yeah, I mean. Yeah, MySpace. Yep, that's 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 the truth. So the first thing I but did. But you both went to Harding. Yeah, we both went to Harding. Well, the way that happened, and she's going to, she's, if she's listening, she's cringing right now. Um, but it's you know now everybody meets online. But, Every, that's right. Uh, uh, but, uh, but that was kind of modern. Yeah, it was. But I, I you know, I, with my first paycheck at Marvel, uh, that's when I bought my first computer, and so that was 2005, and that's when all that social media stuff was just just now starting, and so I thought oh i'll check out this myspace thing and so i start looking up my old friends from harding right and from the art department uh and then that just kind of kind of leads you to looking at the people that are in the art department now just kind of checking in on professors and and then her profile kind of pops up and i'm like wow this girl's beautiful and witty and funny and uh and i just wrote her and she wrote me back and then um i was still living in the northeast at the time and but i was making plans to come back and we corresponded for a few months until I saved up enough money to buy a car. And then I, cause I was up there without a car. Uh, and so I bought a car and then drove back to Arkansas and we started dating pretty much well immediately and then got married two years or a year and a half later. So you are an illustrator and mm-hmm. she is a colorist. Yes, but we kind of, I mean, we wear so many hats. I mean, that's how we got started, but now we're business owners and I'm an executive. Oh, we're going to talk and, about that. Uh, is and, it ruining the fun? We're going to talk about uh, that. Don't tell it's us. It's a different kind of fun, but yeah, we, we'll get there. I'm speaking today with Mitch Breitweiser, founder and creator, along with his wife, Elizabeth, who's at home diligently working right now on her deadline for Friday, of Allegiance Arts Entertainment. They are comic book illustrators, colorists, and distributors of their titles, Red Rooster, Nora Saga, The Futurist, and Bass Reeves, and now their business owners let's talk about crowdfunding for red rooster golden age everyone wants to crowdfund but few have had your success i mean you knocked it out of the ballpark what do you think was your secret to raising let me just tell everybody you raised nearly two hundred thousand dollars maybe two hundred thousand dollars did you ever hit two hundred thousand uh no we're just just short just shy of that uh and with about thirty five hundred uh, people. Mm-hmm. Yes. So in thirty-five dollar increments, mostly. Yeah. Yeah. What was it about what you were doing that just appealed to everybody? Uh, it was uh, we a long runway. So we had thought of. I, of course, 
I had a, we both built names for ourselves in the comic book industry. She had been nominated uh, for several coloring awards and I had a, built a reputation over a number of years as um, I think a pretty good artist. So, <laughs> so so let's back up. You got her a job at Marvel after. Well, she got it herself, so, uh, but I introduced her to my editors. She was a painter. So she was in the, in the Harding art program and I met her when she was a senior in art school and, uh, and she was a teacher, too, and she, wasn't she? And then after school, she got a job teaching art at the CAC uh, school in Maumel. Mm-hmm. And uh, she taught there for two years at high school and junior high level art classes. And she built their curric- curriculum there and everything. And did a great job. And she was also painting and selling her paintings at Stefano's Gallery here in the Heights in Little Rock. Um, and that's the time when we were dating and getting married and kind of settling into our life together. And, um, and of course, I noticed that she had talent uh, mm-hmm. and there was a, a a need in the comic book business for people that just were talented in color because there's a lot of talented artists, but coloring uh, is a kind of a tech, technical process, but you also have to have a um, an eye. And there was a lot of people that could do the technical thing, but they didn't have that eye, right? I knew she had it that eye. It looks like watercolor kind of. Yeah, yeah. And she, watercolor's hard. Uh, yeah, I love watercolor. Uh, but maybe I love doing what's hard, I suppose. I don't know. Uh, but um, she, but she really um, – she's had a great career as a colorist and gained a lot of recognition for her work. I, I think she really changed the game in, in a lot of ways for coloring. Oh, okay. in that. It, so I introduced her to my editors and um, she, over a summer, in her summer break uh, from ZAC, she taught herself – how to do Photoshop, because uh, that's how what the program we use primarily for artwork here and especially for coloring. Uh, so she taught herself Photoshop, and I kind of learned alongside her so that I could learn it too because uh, I wanted to do digital work as well and um, uh, and called some friends and made, and got, got some coaching and all that kind of stuff from professionals that, that had technical expertise. And then so I introduced her to my uh, editors and you know asked them to critique her work and I was starting a new book with uh, Daniel Knopf called Captain America Zero Point, which is an awesome comic book. If you're a fan, you want to go look that up and buy it. It's a great comic book. Uh, Daniel Knopf's the creator of the um, uh, Carnival show for HBO. He's a fantastic writer and a true talent. Uh, So um, I had done some pages and I gave them to her to color as samples. And she sent in the samples and they just hired her and said, do you want to just finish out this this little mini series. She uh, get a two year contract also. Not right away. So she, but she did quit her teaching job. So she's like, okay, I'm going to do this. I'm going to quit my teaching job and not come back in the fall. And I'm going to give this a go. And then we finished that book. And then getting the next one was a little tricky. Cause it was like you got to convince an editor to give you another shot or, or right. Is that when a lot you of, decided, you know, honey, let's go off on our own. No, it wasn't quite then. So we were, we were still. This was 2009 ish. Uh, but another editor gave her a shot on a book called, uh, oh, now I can't remember what, Scar, Son of Hulk. Um, and she impressed and kept getting more work. And then it was a few months later when she got offered her two-year two exclusive contract. So then we were both under these two-year exclusives, and they were kind of ending and starting around the same time. And we kept that up through about 2013. And oh. at, at 2013, we made the decision. It's like, okay, this it's a, what we did was – Brutal. I mean, we we she colored a lot of books. I drew a lot of books. It's a very difficult, hard job where you're sitting and you. It's very it's a very taxing, intense, focused kind of kind of job and and deadline focused too. Mm-hmm. And um, we just made a decision in 2013 that we were going to uh, 
go kind of our own way and try our own thing. And uh, Was there something that happened? Did you say, I don't like doing these characters anymore? Or were you in love with these characters? And you're like, I hate it. I'm getting a divorce. We're I, losing, you know. I think we were, I, I don't know, there's a lot of things. Disney had bought Marvel uh, during that interim in a couple of years before, things were starting to change. There was oh. a new editorial chief in charge. They started doing this thing called double shipping on the books, which made the schedules absolutely crazy. Oh, I gotcha. And um, it was, we were burnt out. Yeah. Burnt out. But not only that, I had had since high school or even beyond, even before that, I, I wanted to do my own stories. Like I've always had this You've vision. You've had a, a character in your mind? Uh, not, not exactly. It's just a lot of, things da- bouncing around but while i was at marvel i created the red rooster character and the futurist title as well with uh, our current chief uh, operating officer patrick styles who's a longtime collaborator of mine and a very good writer um so we we had a cup we had several books actually that we wanted to do eventually and i knew in fact i remember telling patrick because i started developing a business plan because i was like we're going to leave marvel and i started building what became our business plan now but the, the bones of it were built way back then. And I had a list of all our properties. And I remember a phone call with him and I said, this is gold mountain. Like the, we have great stuff. We can do this. I've just got to figure out how to get the gold out of the mountain. And that's the tricky part. And when you say properties, you're talking about the magazine characters. Yeah, the, the, yeah, the titles, the, the titles mm-hmm. that we're producing now and the ones we'll be doing in the future as well. We have a, a lot of things we want to accomplish. Did Marvel get upset and think you were stealing any of their ideas? No, I don't I don't think there so. No, they've, they've got their own There's no non-compete thing. problems that came up during any of that. So no. did you decide to crowdfund? Did you quit first? Or did you crowdfund first? Uh, well, this was in 2013, and so the crowdfund was in 2018 or 2018. Oh, losing. so you'd already quit 19. your job. Yeah, so we, we spent about five years running our, our own little illustration business where we uh, worked on independent comic books. We just handled things a lot differently. With Marvel, you don't own any of the characters. Your royalties are actually quite small, uh, if at all, because mm-hmm. comic book sales aren't what they really used to be, and they're even worse uh, now because of the well, COVID interrupted the whole thing. Uh, but uh, uh, but we we decided we would take our reputations and negotiate with uh, high profile independent creators, so that uh, we participated more in the royalty process. We wrote we were able to write ourselves and negotiate better con- write better contracts for ourselves or negotiate better contracts uh, because we had a, a high we were doing the best color in the business like mm-hmm. w- and we knew it so um and I, I was working a little bit on the side with uh, harper collins and and a couple other publishers just doing just things independent things and we were both trying to buy ourselves time to start building what we thought were the foundations of a potential publishing company or at least just getting our content made so i was working on red rooster stuff futurist stuff uh that's around that time i had the Bass Reese character had came onto my Love radar him. as well. And I'm like, I got one. I want to do a, comp- a book about him. Uh, and then I started analyzing, I started looking at the, I don't know. I just started thinking about it more like a business, but that it took some time to go from artist to business person. And so you decided to crown f- crowd yes. fund after five years. Uh, yeah, 2018. I've been thinking about crowdfunding for a long time. And so you did. You were talking about you'd been spending five years on working and building up your uh, your your stories and and writing and everything. But but actually, I read one of your quotes because you got some people got mad at you. You ended up giving some of the money back because you didn't come out with your magazines or your comic books fast enough. And you said, 
uh, you said, and I assume this is what you meant, what you're talking about, you, you said uh, scale back. If what I learned was to scale back and to get more work done in advance were two of the lessons that I learned from the Red Rooster. Yeah. But yeah. it sounds like you did. You did five years of well, it and still didn't get it out. Well, you crowdfunded it in 18. You still didn't get it out till 19 well, I didn't, or something. Uh, it's not quite like that. Like we worked on uh, coloring and other illustration projects, uh, but the script for Red Rooster uh, was an evolving process. I didn't really even start I had developed a lot of designs for the characters. I built the world for the characters. All that stuff was what was done in the interim time. I didn't actually start the drawing of the book itself until uh, essentially the crowdfunding was beyond kind of, it kind of exploded More than you thought. And at the same time that the success of the crowdfunding happened, that's when all the doors started opening towards the publishing business because all of a sudden we had this hot property and people were very interested in what we were doing business people started getting very interested in what we were doing and so all of a sudden i found myself um with 70 pages to draw and a script that was done but needed a lot of work uh and had to be revised along the way and drawing 70 pages is brutal even if you do one a day that's that's and i'm three months yeah and, and you don't draw one a day no i mean i'm i am and I was building a business at the same time yeah. and pitching Walmart. And I was oh, let's talk I, about basically that. I had I I found myself with uh, I, I had killed the elephant and I had to eat it one bite at a time. <laughs> that's kind of where you I was. Backwards. You did it completely. Backwards. I, I did it. I did it backwards. And um, <laughs> that's t- for sure. Let me tell everybody that you're listening to Up in Your Business with me, Carrie McCoy. And I'm speaking today with Mitch Brightweiser, founder and creator, along with his wife, Elizabeth, who's at home working on one of these deadlines we're talking about, of Allegiance Arts and Entertainment. They are comic book illustrators, colorists, distributors, and their titles uh, are entrepreneurs, everything. Red, their, their titles are Red Rooster, Nora Saga, The Futurist, and Bass Reeves. All right, you got to tell us the story about uh, your presentation to Walmart. One man, you're in, one of your investors, Smith, I guess he's an investor of yours, he said, the presentation blew me away and blew away the people I brought into the meeting. It was show and tell. It wasn't just a bunch of words. They had these characters outlined and drawn and colorful and bigger than life. Yeah. Shark Tank-like. It, it it, yeah, it was. It was crazy. We were thrown into uh, this sort of business world, but for us, it, it felt very natural. I, I had been on, um, in order to make the crowdfunding successful, let me back it up just okay. a little bit. In order to make the crowdfunding successful, I had to build, uh, I started showing my sketch. I introduced the character years before Here, from my sketchbook. I would do a drawing of the character. Here's something I'm thinking about doing. I'm just going to share it with you on Twitter or on Instagram or on Facebook and get kind of get people familiar with my aesthetic and the world I'm trying to build. And people started responding to it. And then um, I started going on YouTube channels and uh, even do my own kind of YouTube stuff as well. And uh, just engaging on video, audio, and in social media for a couple of years before this, and especially in about six months to the run-up. And then the uh, people started responding in a way, like I was honing my pitch, right? So doing that going on youtube presenting to people i would just pitch to random people on the street if i got introduced to somebody and then i would read their body language am i are they tuning out is there something about my story that isn't clicking with them Uh, but it was this refinement of not just the character and the stories that we were trying to sell uh, and uh, but also the business plan and somewhere between somewhere in that process i became 
like, I don't want to own horn, but I became a pretty, a really good pitch guy. Salesman, uh, yeah. I became a salesman, right? Uh-huh. And, and it's not a skill that I really saw coming, but it's one I had to have if I was going to make what was in my head come manifest itself in reality, right? Yeah, whoever thinks of a cartoonist as a salesman. Uh, and it, yeah, it, well, uh, Disney, maybe. <laughs> uh, and and there, are, there are others, but I think it's a, you can learn that skill. Uh, and that's I, right. You just practice. You just and I just practiced, and I threw myself into that fire, and it was uncomfortable and awkward, and uh, which is why people don't do it. it yes, but uh, it's it, you you get forged in that kind of fire, and that's what led to um, I think the the success of the campaign. I was able to pitch it, sell it to people, get them invested in the character in the world. So, with you invest, if you gave money on your Red Rooster Golden Age Indigo dot com. Yeah. crowdfunding site what did you get for that besides just oh good i'm helping mitch <laughs> the way crowdfunding works uh, in most cases is you have like a basic package where you can just get the graphic novel and you get a couple bonuses like a sticker and a trading card and little things like that but then there are other packages where you can get the head sketch in it uh and but all, does anybody get anything for giving you money or are they just they get a good? book no they get it they're getting they get a, book. a book they get, they a, get you get a book uh, and if you know for signed you know, a book by you all the books are signed for 35 dollars. yes and it'll be a 70 page story with extra content in the back uh there were other tiers that are like 40 dollar, 50 dollar tiers where you get a head sketch and a sketchbook and you just get all these little uh, bonus items or collect. It's a, they're collectibles. I mean, it's a low print it's run kind of thing, right? So you're getting a a, a low print run uh, set of items as well mm-hmm. as a book that's going to be very well produced. Um, part of what we're doing uh, is it, making artists making a comic book is very hard. I mean, it's not the easiest job in the world. If it was easy, everyone would do it. It looks right? like it ought to be. It easy. looks like it ought to be. You easy. know, it's like oh, this will be fun. Let's just throw this yes. together. And it. And it does, and it and it will be fun, and it is fun at times. But it is a brutal, long hours in front of a screen, which I draw on a computer mostly, and uh, it takes uh, you know anywhere between you know fifteen to twenty hours to do one page. You uh, know, Walmart loved what you did, gave you money, but one of the and you've become now in bed with Walmart. You've got investors, but one of the reasons you became a risk taking, out of your comfort zone entrepreneur was to be in control of your life and have your characters and do what you wanted to do. Yes. And now you have investors and you have Walmart probably nagging you, I don't know. How has that played out? Uh, well, it's it's still playing out. It's been obviously a strange year for everybody. Yeah, uh, what, when did this happen? Uh, well, we sold uh, to – we pitched to Walmart at the end of October in 2018. Oh, it's been a while. Yeah, and they said yes, and this was – we did this with – no, there was no money. There was no company. There was just a vision. Can we take this idea and find a, a distributor and a and a retailer? Uh, so Walmart doesn't distribute. Our distributor is out of Chicago, a company called ReaderLink, um, and uh, it's it's a pretty inter- that's another interesting story. So we both convinced <laughs> a, a distributor to take a gamble on us and Walmart to be our launch a retail launch partner. Um, and Walmart really is just, uh, they're not an investor in our company or anything. They're really just our, a retailer that has given us their platform, which is a huge platform. We're in 3,400 Walmart they had stores. But serious criteria you had to meet. Uh, we, we got, uh, we. Leniency? Well, I don't know. We, well, I think it was our pitch, but also that we're aiming for the books department. And it's a bit of a different, I, I just don't, you know, looking back on it, it's. 
it's kind of a miracle. It was like one Hail Mary pass over after another for us kept getting caught. And um, <laughs> and we pitched the at the end of October. We got a meeting with the books buyer, Mr. Dillon at Walmart, and we just laid it all on the table. We had had several meetings up to that to get to that point finding, you know, pitching different invest potential investors or business people that could open the doors and maybe introduce us to someone. It was just all one, like I said, one Hail Mary after another, but we kept, every time we pitched someone, they're like, like Mr. Smith that you quoted in there, Cameron Smith, who's a, 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 a wonderful businessman and now an investor in our company. We walked into his office basically cold and he let us talk for like 20 minutes and then he just puts his hand up and says, okay, I've heard enough. And I'm like, oh, we're going to get thrown out. And he says, um, I hear 10 of these things a week, and this is by far the coolest thing I have heard in years. It's just that they were excited. They saw uh, smart business people, I think, saw that they, first of all, they saw that we had the credentials and the passion. That's right. And that we knew what we were doing, and we had the network of talented uh, friends that had that we had connected in this business with for years and years. Let's talk about the network of people. I mean, there's a lot to do. There's a lot of people. You're... Uh, you are uh, the illustrator. Your wife is the colorist. Who's the writer for all of these differences? Let's talk about all the characters and the collaboration with other artists. Some of them are in Canada that you mm-hmm. collaborate with. There's Nora's Saga. What's it about? Okay, Nora's Saga is about a contemporary teenage girl in Canada named Nora and her father. Uh, and uh, basically she goes through – she has a traumatic – um, she's, of course, a teenage girl with all kinds of teenage girl problems, right? Oh, yes. And she has a uh, goes through a trauma at the end of issue one and then finds herself catapulted into a Norse fantasy. So Nora's saga is meant to be like Norse saga, right? little play on words. Um, but, no, uh, what's Nor- oh, Norse? Nora's. Nora's oh, Nora's saga. No, yeah. I get it. Okay. Uh, so uh, she finds herself catapulted into a Norse fantasy world in, in like Vinland, right? And, which is, and Norse, like Norse gods? Uh, yeah. So it, yeah, it's, uh, she's, uh, you know, now has, um, she's desperate to, it's kind of a, I guess, Wizard of Oz meets Vikings in short. It's mm-hmm. Wizard of Oz meets Vikings. So mm-hmm. she's in this fantasy world and has to use her smarts and wits and charm to win over a new set of friends that can help her find her way back home oh i love that all right that sounds so who is the age of the people that read that read comic books you were 12 so are you what is your audience the audience i think is from is like 12 to 12 to 65 probably it's a very wide spectrum of readers with very wild and different tastes uh, all the way up and down. I think really a comic book reader starts around 11 or 12 because uh, uh, it's a it's a uh, I think your brain has to be kind of a little bit more developed. So you go from children's books to maybe young adult and then a comic book. Uh, the last comic book I read was Captain Underpants. <laughs> well, that yeah, I think I think that's. I think the com- – like, well, Captain Underpants is so huge. And, and that's one of the things I, when I started thinking about this as a business, I started looking into things like Captain Underpants and Dogman. And I – comic books, um, the way we tell them, which is, uh, you know, a classical comic book, it's their – I don't want to say they're sophisticated, but they're, they're, they're very rich characterized yes. books that we're doing with lush art and color. They're very but illustrated. But the writing is not very good. In, in ours? Yes. I mean, it's really simple and plain. It's like watching an anime when they have those really simple, plain, yeah. one sentence. I know he's blushing when I said it. Oh, what do you mean? Yeah. But, I mean, it's not right. deep writing. I mean, it's yeah. like 
you know, I've, I've, I read uh, Red Rooster, and I mean, it's pretty basic sentences like right, right, like comic book sentences. No, it's it's a comic book. It's it's meant to be read by everybody. I, I'd like to think what we're doing has. Uh, I, I don't know. Maybe, maybe I'm totally off base here, but I'd like to think what we're doing is kind of a, a little more sophisticated than the average comic book. Um, the, the, the illustrations and the drawings are just mesmerizing. You can stare at the pictures and just keep continually seeing stuff. But the writing, you're like, there's that bubble. There's that bubble. There's oh, yeah. That bubble, there's five bubbles. Well, there's only all. so much you can do. You know, you're not you're not writing Moby Dick necessarily. But over time, uh, I think, especially if you give our, our full series, these are periodicals. So mm-hmm. if you go out and buy issue one and then issue two and then issue three that's coming out soon. Uh, I think you'll start to see that there's a, a, a well thought out pre-planned sophisticated path that these characters are following. We're, we're, we're very character focused in our brand, in our company. Um, I'd like to think maybe more so than some of our, uh, than all of our competitors. How long does it take for a reader to get engaged into that character? Uh, Well, I'm hoping by one issue. Like if I feel like if we haven't got you into that character by the first issue then it's you know it, it, we're gonna we might struggle so well, we I really did wonder what was going to happen at the end of red rooster well, see yeah. i mean I, I mean i am saying the writing was pretty simple i'm a i'm a simple reader i was like well that's easy to read i can read all of that and then i was kind of like well what's going to happen on the train well that's that's good then job mission accomplished i suppose okay. so uh yeah i, uh, I should have brought you issue issue two so you could get uh the next bite out of the story but uh, I'd like to think what we're doing is is um, is going to is engaging for and it goes for all it goes for everyone. Yeah, the futurists. Tell us what that what that title's about. Okay, the, the futurists. It's a it, it's um, it is a, a much bigger, more kind of complicated, character driven story. A family gets caught between two or uh, three outrageous egos that are on their quest for Shambhala. I haven't. I'm, this is a cold pitch. I haven't done these pitches. I've been in the arts the art hole for like weeks and weeks now um but it's a shambhala yes yeah, so it I takes place in, takes place in i can't in, believe no one's made that word up before shambhala, shambhala. well it's a real place shambhala oh, okay. is is shangri-la is our what we call it uh or has been popularized but shambhala is the hidden uh mythical city in india right that's that's the city of legend of of the gods i guess oh so you uh, didn't make that word up no i did not make oh. it up so it's it's uh the uh it's these outrageous, uh, outrageous egos are after are on a race for Shambhala, and this family gets caught in the middle of them, and this veteran uh, basically has to save his family from uh, a military veteran. Uh, yeah, well, yeah, it's a from the British uh, military, which obviously is, is takes place in the in the eighteen sixties, eighteen seventies in colonial India. So it's a it's. If if you're into swashbuckling and romance, it's a I love that. Yes, stuff. It's, so it's swashbuckling, romance. It's faraway adventure. It's m- magic and sword fighting, sword fighting, and um, temples and um, a quest for a mythical city. So and it's very, very, very character driven. And honestly, well, I think it's, it's why is it called futurist when uh, you're actually in the 1800s? Uh, because they clash together. Uh, well, it's 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 the nature of Sh- of Shambhala, really, oh. and and the and the the magic that's involved. There's a bit of um, time trickery involved in the in the plot and the story. So, line. Red Rooster, I read. Tell everybody what Red Rooster is about. Okay, it, it, the simply it is Batman in a barn, and that's my that's what you my, said. That's I don't my get that. simple pitch. So basically, he doesn't have um, he's there's a there's a hundred thousand heroes for the cities. Right from New York 
to uh, L.A. to Gotham to uh, Metropolis. Uh, but he's like a, a he's he's inspired from my time growing up in Arkansas. He's like a, he's a he's a farm boy made good. So he's a takes place in the Dust Bowl era. And the Red Rooster is a uh, a guy. Uh, Frank Cooper is his name. Uh, and he inherits a mantle. It's like this mantle that's pat- like the phantom. So the, the the phantom is a mantle that's passed down from generation to genera- generation. He inherits it on the battlefields of World War One and comes back to the States and um, essentially turns he, – he finds himself uh, from unknown farm boy to international or national folk hero, a costume folk hero. And it, it quickly – his fame quickly – eclipses his noble the noble mission of the red rooster and the order of the dawn which is his secret society um and and, he, and people want to uh undermine him well yeah and in a way he undermines himself so he has this team that he works with and uh, that's part of what the book is about and really the book starts at the height of his fame where he's the spokesman for a soda brand and <laughs> everyone is famous and they're on they have movie serials about them they have radio shows and they're like it's it's kind of a, a statement on pop culture as we see it today, but the how it developed in the in the '30s, the Dust Bowl era, mm-hmm. um, and it it it's a at the height of his fame, it kind of all comes crashing down, and that's really where the character picks up in the Red Rooster book. And I'm I'm it's, of course it's my personal favorite like because yeah well it's the one i draw and it's the one that i co-wrote do you and not created. draw all of them no i oh, do yeah, not that's no. the collaboration you do with everybody yes so I, we, we contract uh, other artists like butch guys butch guys does the futurists and he is butch guys is uh, if if anything you should pick it up because he's a living legend he's an american illustrator par excellence and yeah, he puts pictures of people behind. You can see shadowy pictures. Oh, he's amazing. He's, 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 he's really are good. All right. We're going to run out of time no. here before I t- ask you about Bass, Bass Reeves. Reeves. Yes. Yeah. Loosely based on the U.S. Marshal from Fort Smith, Arkansas. Uh, yeah. I mean, that's Bass Reeves is a not well enough known yet uh, known yet American hero. So he was based. He was a born a slave, escaped during the Civil War, uh, made a name for himself. He. In Indian ter- territory during Reconstruction, as a tracker, learned several languages, uh, and um, as a bounty man, eventually, and then became so feared at it and so good at it that he was eventually deputized by Isaac Parker, the Hanging Judge, out of Fort Smith, and became the probably the most legendary lawman uh, in world history. Uh, uh, he holds the record for most arrests in history; over three thousand outlaws. So he's a real guy. A real guy with an incredible story, and we're so. But is Bass Reeves his real name? Yes, Bass Reeves is his real so name. So you didn't make up a fictitious name around no. this guy. You are actually okay. But then the stories about him are going to be fictitious uh, or embellished. They're embellished. Yeah. So we are. It is a comic book. So this isn't a, a, a biography or anything like that. We we are taking elements of his life that we feel really defined the man and made him a real hero, and we're just amplifying those things. What do you want to happen to your characters in the future? I just want more and more people to read them. <laughs> really? I mean, that's it. What happens though when, when, I mean, how far along, how far out can you carry a character? I think a, a character is, is also an archetype, and an archetype has only so many stories I think they can tell. At least that's how I feel. It's like every it's like every TV show. It can only run for so long. It, it can only go for so long. I mean, things like Superman run forever and Batman run forever, but there's a lot of it is the same stories being told the same way over and over again with different 
because we're all older. Yeah, we're all older. It's a different group of people. Yeah, different it. aesthetics, different generation. They just retell it in different ways. That's so, the way it is with all storytelling. Yes. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Let me tell everybody that you're listening to Up In Your Business with me, Carrie McCoy, and I'm speaking today with Mitch Brightweiser, founder and creator, along with his wife, Elizabeth, of Allegiance Arts and Entertainment. They're comic book illustrators, colorists, and distributors of four different titles. So how do people get your comic books? Because I went to Walmart and yep. I could not find it. Yeah, they're they're um, they're they're getting harder to find right now. So we had two issues out over uh, over the summer and uh, sold we, out. They, I don't think I don't know that they're sold out. You can they're still available in some markets, um, although uh, there, there's less and less of them. We're working on the next release right now. Uh, they are available on our if you go to our website, allegiancearts.com. That's allegiancearts.com. Uh, we have a link on the website that'll take you to walmart.com and you can buy them from walmart.com. Uh, the listings are a little bit messed up and we're working we're working on that with uh, the listings Well, people. I wish I would have done that because you cannot buy them at amazon.com. And if right. you go in there and you just Google your name and you Google the we titles of your name, Gray, Sun Gray, be sure and put this link on uh, Mitch and Elizabeth, the Allegiant Arts. Absolutely. On our website mm-hmm. for this, uh, if anybody wants to listen yeah. to this podcast, be sure and put it there so that everybody won't have the problems yeah. that I had trying to get it. Sign up for our mailing list on allegiancearts.com or follow us on social media like Instagram or Facebook and we'll definitely let you know when the new releases are coming oh, I'm out. I'm going to do that. And uh, if you're, we also, you can buy digital versions of the comic book if you just want to sample them real quick and uh, you can do that on our website as well. So there's a lot of geeks out there that love comic books. I had no idea that there were, uh, that there is a huge um, Lakes International Comic Arts Festival in Kendall, Great Britain that people can go to. Well, there's there's Every, everywhere, everywhere, everywhere. Even Little Rock has so has if, one. Conway oh, has a Conway has an amazing comic you, book show. Do you? I guess you probably tell everybody that if they sign up to follow you on Facebook and stuff, you uh, kind of post that stuff. We haven't. <laughs> we don't do shows that much anymore. Well, nobody does shows. All time. the shows were canceled. Right. We we haven't had time since we started oh, the right. company. All, all the shows were pretty much all comic book shows have been canceled. And, but I think that'll obviously change in the vaccine and everything. So people will start going out to home shows and we will go to exhibit in them as well. So uh, and, we were And you love that. this work. We're almost out of time. You love this work of illustrating and drawing. Has owning your own business taken you away from what you love? That's your last question. Uh, you know, right. I mean, I have to go back and stay up all night to finish a deadline. So uh, I, I, I am very much engaged in the art process and will always be, although I I'm, I've come to the realization over the course of this year that I have to step back. I have to go and uh, Which broker. part are you going to step back from? Uh, I'm probably going to step back from the day-to-day grind of drawing the actual comic book. I will probably participate more in the writing and layouts. Have you read the book The E-Myth? The E-Myth? Uh-huh. No, I never have. You're, you just described what the book The E-Myth says. I recommend you read The E-Myth. It okay. says you may love to make pies, but if you want to become a pie-making business owner, you have to quit making pies. Yeah, yeah, that's def- I have to quit making pies. And I, I've, I've, my, my wife and I both. So we are, um, you know, we're hiring. Uh, we're looking for oh. awesome talent oh. to replace both people? ourselves and to uh, help us create. And you don't have to be in Little Rock, Arkansas. You can be anywhere to do it. I- anywhere, yeah. That's great for COVID. Thanks for coming. Here's your gift. I think, since you went to Harding, I got you a Christian flag oh, for your you desk so set, your U.S. flag, and your Arkansas flag. Oh, you said you so come beautiful. to Flag and Banner and that you need a new flag, so come on. I do yeah. need a new flag. Tell Elizabeth we're so 
Sorry, we missed her. And that I hope we catch her next time. Next time. You heard Mitch and Carrie in this program talk about the return of comic book shows. Well, no matter what kind of business you're in, there's probably trade show opportunities for you. And maybe they're coming back. As COVID begins to wane and the world begins to open up a little bit, trade show displays become more important than ever. If you're working a trade show or an expo, make sure you stand out in the crowd. Flagandbanner.com can put together a custom trade show display for you, including pop-up banner walls, pillowcase banner walls, retractable banner stands, lightweight banner walls, pillowcase banner stands, lightweight stands, tabletop stands, hanging banners. If you think it can enhance your appearance at a trade show, flagandbanner.com can supply you with it and custom design it for your business. Please check out the website, flagandbanner.com, if you have a trade show in your future. I want to say to our listeners, thank you for spending your time with us. We hope you've heard or learned something that's been inspiring or enlightening, and that it, whatever it is, will help you up your business, your independence, your life. I'm Carrie McCoy, and I'll see you next time on Up In Your Business. You've been listening to Up In Your Business with Carrie McCoy. For links to resources you heard discussed on today's show, go to flagandbanner.com, select radio, and choose today's guest. If you'd like to sponsor this show or any show, contact me, Gray, that's G-R-A-Y at flagandbanner.com. All interviews are recorded and posted the following week. Stay informed of exciting upcoming guests by subscribing to our YouTube channel or podcast wherever you like to listen. Carrie's goal is simple, to help you live the American dream. 